Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Today, my name is Terry Fletcher. So you've probably heard, yes, my Steelers lost because the Miami Dolphins could not pull it off. The Steelers won, the Buffalo Bills won, and Miami Dolphins I should say the Jets could not pull it off. Miami Dolphins end up winning by a field goal and a safety. So we are out of the playoffs. So now my focus is not on football. I'll still watch it, but oh my gosh, I'm a little bummed. Anyway, back to coding. So we are going to talk about some ICD-10 coding. I saw a really good blog on HIA coding. And I've been dealing with this as well. That's Health Information Associates. And I've been dealing with this as well as far as getting some um, denials from not myself, but a lot of clients because they're, the coders are not following a certain instruction in ICD-10 when it says to code first. So you have to always look at your instructional notes within the ICD-10-CM codes. And this doesn't mean this is new information. This is something that um, the these this parenthetical direction has been something that's been going on for years now. But there's a lot of more denials as far as non-compliance with following what the rules are. So first, what does it mean to code first? So for the coders out there that are either new or are still getting their feet wet into ICD-10, which are diagnosis codes, there are certain conditions that have instructional notes in the ICD-10 tabular coding uh, conventions. And that's the guide to how you sequence your codes. Remember, we have the code book and then we have the uh, coding conventions, the general guidelines. This is especially true when the condition has a common manifestation or what we call an underlying condition of a chronic disease. And this is important for you HCC coders. There is a code first note in the tab, or if there is a code first note in the tabular, the coder should follow this instruction and then sequence the underlying etiology or chronic condition first, followed by the manifestation as an additional diagnosis. And there will be an, um, and I'm air quoting, use additional code note at the etiology or underlying condition. Another thing to look for um, is in the code title of specific diagnoses where it says in diseases classified elsewhere. This part of the title is telling you as the coder that this is a manifestation code and is never permitted to be sequenced as the principal diagnosis, some of you call that primary, or first listed code. So when coders see a code in brackets, this indicates that the code should not be sequenced first. Sometimes it's hard to understand that because I know sometimes the, the direction on how to do this isn't clear. So here's some examples of incorrect sequencing and how to make it correct. So a patient presents for drainage of pleural effusion that is documented to be malignant secondary to lung cancer. The patient has a thoracentesis and is discharged home. In this case, the primary diagnosis or listed first diagnosis would be the lung cancer followed by the code for the malignant pleural effusion. I know everybody wants to code the pleural effusion first because that's what they had, but in the ICD-10 tabular, the coder will see notes under the category J91.0 to code first the underlying neoplasm. Coders will see the same code first instruction when looking at the malignant ascites. Next, a patient presents with anemia and is admitted for a transfusion. 
The anemia is documented to be end-stage renal disease after workup and consultation with hematology. The patient is discharged to follow up and to continue their outpatient um, hemodialysis. Okay, in this case, the first listed code would be the end-stage renal disease and not the anemia. Even though the anemia is the condition treated and focus of the admission, there are instructional notes again in ICD-10, tabular instruction that says code first, the underlying chronic kidney disease. I know sometimes this is kind of hard to kind of get your head around, but if you are reading those instructional notations and everything that they're talking about, when it comes to um, things in the parentheses, in the brackets, or in, in the um, quotes, then you'll know how to code. Another one, patient is admitted with, with acute on chronic systolic congestive heart failure, so CHF, and the diagnosis of hypertension. In ICD-10-CM, this assumes a causal relationship and this is coded as hypertensive heart disease with CHF. An additional code for the specific type of heart failure is also needed. So in this case, the primary principal diagnosis of hypertensive heart disease with CHF, I11.0, is reported as the principal diagnosis or first listed, followed by the code for the heart failure under the category I50, probably I50.9 based on what I just said. And there are also instructional notes under the category I50, under the tabular that says code first if due to hypertension. There are multiple code first instructions under this category. They want to know what it's due to first. Patients present with confusion or altered mental status that is more than normal for them. There is a history of Parkinson's disease with dementia. Workup revealed that the patient's Parkinson's disease was progressing quickly and their medications were altered. The patient was observed one-on-one -on -one with a one-on-one -on -one sitter without much improvement. It's recommended that the patient be admitted to nursing home that focuses on dementia patients. Okay, so now in this case, the diagnosis for Parkinson disease, dementia with Lewy bodies, is reported as the primary diagnosis, followed by a code for the dementia and other diseases as an additional secondary diagnosis. And it's clear how to code for this because it even says in this area, the Parkinson's would be first. Now the patient presents with chest pain, I get this one a lot, and has cardiac cath during their hospitalization. The cardiac cath shows that the patient, cardiac catheterization, sorry, shows that the patient had multi-vessel coronary atherosclerosis of the native vessels with occlusion in one, as well as atherosclerosis due to calcified coronary and lipid-rich plaque. So in this case, the code for the atherosclerotic heart disease of the native coronary artery is sequenced as the primary diagnosis. The calcified coronary and lipid-rich plaque atherosclerosis would be reported as a secondary diagnosis, again because of the code-first instructional note in ICD-10-CM. I really believe if you haven't done this with your coders, if you're an administrator or a billing manager or coding manager, you really should sit down with your coders and review and follow the chapter-specific guidance in the ICD-10 tabular. And when coding to ensure that the appropriate primary diagnosis is used, really read through it and then give a short quiz to your coders just so that they can understand it. It's not always so black and white when the focus, let's say, of the admission, if you're going to admit a patient or your physician is consulting a patient that they're seeing that was admitted, when that focus um, of the admission is towards the manifestation and not the condition causing it. 
This sequencing advice should only be followed when there's coding guidelines or instructional notes in ICD-10. So it's not always would be, it wouldn't always be the underlying condition as reported as the primary, but it's the best example I can think of is when the anemia due to, uh, let's say, a GI bleed and acute respiratory failure due to pneumonia, COP exacerbation. In these cases, the primary diagnosis would depend on the focus of the admission, so there's no code-first instruction. So just, you know, really kind of take a look at some of this stuff. I loved this blog. I thought it was very accurate. I had a couple of the examples that I've had um, as I code for practices as well. But when, when you are looking for this information, Make sure you look at the official guidelines um, for coding, not just the current guidelines, but one that have been there for quite a while. Um, and also look at the alphabetical index of ICD-10 and the tabular list. And then also look, there's one that came out um, in the coding clinic fourth quarter, ICD-10 2021, pages 87 and 88. And that was really telling for a lot of this information. So um, just make sure you get as much information as you can so um, that you can be accurate in your coding and have something in writing for your providers if they're trying to figure out why you're coding something or not coding something. So I also wanted to bring up something else. And this is something that if you follow me on LinkedIn, you'll know I was pretty mad this week. <laughs> so one of the things that came up, and I, I really could not believe that the government did this, and it just happened to be a pop-up for me when I was talking to another provider about the independent resolution uh, process. So the IDR, Independent Dispute Resolution Process, I should say, for the No Surprise Act. So to file, if you can't get anywhere with a payer on your negotiation, let's say you are a radiologist or an ED physician, and you're in an in-network facility, but you're an out-of-network provider, and they paid you very little for whatever x-ray you took or for your E&M service that you tried to bill for under the ED place of service, and so you're trying to negotiate with the payer. They won't let you. So now the physician says, you know what? Let's go ahead and file for an independent dispute resolution, which means an arbitration. Well, it's $50. It would be $50 to you if the patient wanted to dispute anything. It could be $50 to them. Well, four days before, the this was the January 1st, 2023 hit, um, CMS comes out and says, well, guess what? We had over 90,000 um, disputes that were filed from April through September. We only expected about 17,000. I mean, why expect any, but this is really where we're at right now. And so we're going to increase the administration fee to physicians to file to $350. That's 600%. I mean, what the heck on this? So because they're backlogged now for almost seven months, they said, because they've only been able to process about 15% of those filed and they actually had a deadline. Now, um, CMS and HHS is making it about only larger ticket items. Think if you're an, a radiologist or an, an ED physician or an anesthesiologist, not everything exceeds 350. So if you've got an ER visit that is 200 bucks and they only paid you 50 of it, are you going to be incentivized as a physician to go and file 350? Because remember, you don't get that back. Nobody pays that back to you. And so if you even win your 150 that they didn't pay you, you're still out the time, the staffing and the the process that takes that plus your fee. So 
I'm hoping there's going to be some pushback, some lawsuits, something on this, because to me, this is once again, the government overreaching, acting in bad faith and trying to take the physician out of patient care through reimbursement. So I'm pretty hot about this. But if you want to read about it, please look at thehill.com. And uh, there was a, a big article on it over the weekend. So I, I just, oh my gosh, I was so angry when I saw this come out. Because I've got providers that are saying we are getting absolutely screwed by the, the process. And it's great for payers because they don't necessarily have to pay us or can pay us terribly. And then now we're going to be handcuffed to um, administrative fees so that CMS can pay for it when they're shipping tax dollars outside the country and not funding what we need here. So yeah, I'm, I'm caught about this. Try not to get political, but this really makes me mad. Okay, on, an, on a lighter note, let's come back for, to a lighter note here. So for those of you looking for some CEUs and some educational opportunities coming up here in 2023, I have a telehealth with McVeigh seminars at 8 a.m. Pacific time on the 24th. I have a lunch and learn with California Health Information Association, also telehealth at noon. So check that out. Got a cardiology uh, 10 a.m. update on the 25th of January with McVeigh and also an OIG Medicare audits on the 26th. I also have some on demands. If you haven't had a chance to train your physicians, make sure you take a look at my website at terryfletcher.net. Um, I've got the ENM 2023, I've got telehealth, I've got cardio, I've got GI. We have a lot of on demand. Uh, training sessions and webinars up there uh, that also includes CEUs. So definitely take a look at that and hopefully um, we'll find, you'll find something that helps you. The CodeCast today is also brought to you by Citibank. Earn cash back rewards on all your purchases wherever Visa is accepted, including 2% on all purchases from Costco warehouses and Costco.com. Also, towards your qualifying ATT wireless bill every year uh, after eligible spending, and also 2% cash back on all purchases with a double cash card when you buy and pay with no categories, caps, or annual fee. Okay, so what else are we going to talk about? Well, I had a glorious trip in Arizona. I got to meet people from the NSCHBC I haven't met before, so that was just really special for me. And uh, I think my two sessions went over pretty well. I did a quick fire on everything going on in the industry and then also uh, got to participate in a roundtable discussion on how to make the society work for you. So I also wanted to shout out to those of you that have recently joined my Coding Corner membership. I appreciate that. It's always nice to have new members. Uh, Trident Cardiology, Gentle Foot, Gentle Foot Care of Ohio, um, our Heart and Vascular so so Center of Arizona, and we also have some Texas with Shannon Health. So it's really nice to have you guys as members. For those of you that are interested in being a member, take a look at terryfletcher.net, go under services, and the first drop down is the Coding Corner membership. And there's two different kinds. There's executive and the regular membership, and it comes with unlimited coding questions through email and some free webinars and things like that that you get with the membership. So we hope that you take a look at that and join. We'd love to have you. So everyone, make it a great rest of your week. Make it a great day. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer Joe Kuzma. Music producer Assassin Music.